0: Let's stand for the reading of God's Word found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1.
1: Luke 1, 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, no. He shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all of their neighbors And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him.
2: And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
0: Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that We're in a church that proclaims that your word is your word, all of it. God breathed. We're also thankful, Father, for the work of the Holy Spirit, the one who has illuminated this word in our own hearts and minds, that we might see the truth and believe. We thank you for the grace that is necessary for our salvation and the grace that is necessary for us to grow in our understanding. And we thank you that you have given us that. And we pray as we approach this passage now that you would reveal new truth to us, that we would find ourselves sitting in awe and wonder of your deliverance, of your powerful, powerful work of grace in our lives. Lord, save us, we pray, in the strong and perfect name of Jesus. Amen. The series that we're going through this Advent and Christmas season is called Signs and Wonders. Signs are all around us, pointing to Christmas, some by people who truly believe in the meaning of Christ being born and coming to this earth, living the life that we could never live and dying the death that we all deserve to die, conquering death on the cross, raised from the dead, and then ascending to heaven where he lives to intercede in our behalf. Others simply because it's what we do. We celebrate Christmas. Lights are everywhere here but in some parts of the world, uh, it is not so. My daughter is living in Nagoya, Japan right now. And she sent a picture yesterday of Brett and Taylor Rill's apartment, their home church missionaries. And Maddie said, you just have to see the exterior of their apartment, which is in a high rise apartment complex, probably 25, 30 stories high. And in this entire apartment complex of hundreds of people, there is not one Christmas light except for the corner of the exterior of their apartment. And it is so bright, it is so obnoxious, and it stands out like it should because there inside the dwelling is a man and a woman and their two children and a team that serves with them. that come to make known the name of Jesus in a world that is full of self, self-sufficiency, in a world that is turned against the good news of Jesus Christ, who frankly could care less And there they are seeking by the power of God, Christ himself in their lives to make known the name of Jesus. Signs are all around us and they really are when they're meant or understood in the right way are pointing to the presence and the power and the plan and the promises of God. And it's important as we believers move through a text like this to understand all that is happening as God is revealing his plan through these different signs. Where I want to go first this morning is in a simple phrase that Zechariah uses after he speaks, after his child has been born. And I want to begin by going to verse 79. So open your Bible, the pew Bible or the the bulletin in front of you and go to verse 79. Let's start actually at 78. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That phrase that Zechariah uses, speaking of his son and the one his son is going to point to, speaks of the one who will come to give light to those who sit in darkness. For a few minutes, I want to talk about this, the seed of darkness. Darkness can mean many things. There is physical darkness. So when the sun goes down later today, around 5, 530, we're going to experience darkness. But darkness is more than just physical It is also a metaphor for a spiritual condition. And all of us, because of the fall of man with Adam and Eve, were born into spiritual darkness. And what that means is there's not a man or a woman, no child that's born, no matter how sweet and innocent they seem, is not born without that spiritual darkness. That spiritual darkness is seen in a heart that cannot beat for God. It's not a sick heart. It is a dead heart, it is a dark heart in the truest sense. But God has the power to open that heart, to illuminate that heart that one might believe. Darkness is also known in a a general sense where because we live in a fallen world, there is darkness all around us. The government seems dark, world governments seem dark. All sorts of things around us seem dark and sin is manifest from diseases to natural disasters, et cetera, all part of the fall of man. But there is darkness known to us because of decisions that we make, decisions to sit in seats of darkness, sometimes just simply because we did not want to listen to the word of God. Sometimes, though, it's not so much a decision we've made as much as the reality of darkness coming at us. There are many ways in which that Darkness can overwhelm us. It can leave us in a place of not knowing where God is, not sensing his presence, wondering what his will is, or even like the psalmist asking questions like, where are you, God? In those cases, often we find ourselves in the dark night of the soul. Places of darkness manifest themselves in many ways. And as I go through a list, I want you to listen. I want you to identify by name a seat of darkness that you would say you're in right now or one maybe that you've come out of or one you sense maybe that you're heading towards. Now, this isn't going to be fun, but it's really important, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Places of darkness or seats of darkness can be work where we're not able to accomplish the things that we wanted to. Are we able to accomplish them within an organization that doesn't really have good values and our ethics are being called into question? Or maybe it's that we're unemployed We've been looking for work. We can't find it. And that seed of darkness is very real because we're not sure how we're going to continue to provide. The darkness can be in our marriages. We wonder how did we get here and how dark can it get? Will any light ever show up? We have prayed. We've sought counsel. And yet the darkness remains. It can be in our children. Maybe it's our adult children who have rejected the faith and that hurts us so deeply because we're fearful that they will never return. Or it could be simply that your child, no matter what age, is experiencing the reality of living in a dark world as they experience anxiety or depression or being bullied or simply not being able to achieve the things that they long to achieve. And when they're in seats of darkness, it's so easy to find ourselves also in seats of darkness. Maybe it's your health or the health of a loved one. And as they experience the unknown, that darkness seems to grip hold of them, and fear floods them. Maybe the darkness for you is spiritual. It's just dead and dry. Even the season, which is so beautiful and centered on joy, you hear the choir singing, joy, 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 but that truly doesn't describe the condition of your heart this morning. Maybe you're just caught up in greed and materialism, and you know it. And you know it's a deep seat of darkness, because you have trusted in things other than the creator of those things. And you know time and time again, no matter how much you spend, the satisfaction just lasts a little while longer, not much. Maybe it's a broken heart or shattered dreams. Maybe today you come and you hear a story about this elderly couple in this passage who finally were able to conceive. And you've longed to conceive a long time, but the Lord hasn't blessed you with child. Or maybe it's before that and you just long to be married and the Lord hasn't brought that special someone into your life and you wonder if he ever will. Maybe it's coveting, envy, anger, bitterness, loneliness, doubt. Maybe it's just going through the routine and you're in a deep rut and that rut is a seat of darkness and you're not sure how to get out. Maybe above all, The seat of darkness is just self, that you are in a place where you're simply trying to do what you can't do, trying to find what you and your own strength can't find, Find, trying to find a way out of that seat that you might live, but you're relying upon self and self-righteousness. Now, I know that this is not a real happy beginning on the second Sunday of Advent. I know some of you are thinking, really? Joy, 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 what happened to you today, Mark? Well, my friends, I love preaching about the light. But you cannot comprehend the beauty of the light. I cannot comprehend the power of the light, meaning Jesus, without truly understanding the darkness that I've been rescued from, without truly understanding the way in which the Lord, this side of heaven, continues to minister to us while we are in seats of darkness. And so I want you, if you are willing right now, to identify a seat of darkness that you're in or one that you sense maybe you're heading towards or one that you've come out of. And here's why. We have that all in common. My list might not have included your seat of darkness, but it doesn't take much time to go, I have one and this is what it is. Zechariah was in a seat of darkness. Zechariah we're told by Luke was blameless. That doesn't mean perfect. It just simply means that he and his wife, Elizabeth, believed in the promise of a coming Messiah. And they had salvation because of their faith in God's faithfulness, because of their faith that God would provide a Messiah. That's why they're called blameless. And as a man, he was now getting ready to experience the highlight of his calling. He was going to be the one moving into the temple to light the incense. Now imagine what's going on in his heart and mind as he's considering this incredible privilege. Imagine what Elizabeth is thinking as she knows that her husband has this incredible honor. As he begins to enter in, I wonder what he's thinking he's going to say when he comes out. I wonder what he's thinking he's going to share with those he's close to about the experience of having the lot fall on him according to God's sovereign plan. But as he goes in, he experiences the conversation with the angel Gabriel. Gabriel tells him that his wife is going to give birth, that this son is going to be very special. And as this happens, he can't believe. He doesn't have the ability to trust what the angel has said. So now this man who is experiencing the highlight of his life's calling is suddenly told that he has a prayer that he's prayed for a long time, it's going to be answered, and he can't believe. And so now this experience, this, this high experience, is met with a profound low experience, where he is going to experience the consequences of his doubt. Those will be seen by everyone. He will not be able to speak at all. Only nonverbal communication through the writing on a tablet and signs. So Zechariah leaves. He comes out of the temple. He signifies to his wife that she is going to be with child, and she is. The child is going to be named John. Think about Zechariah's life for a minute. He had experienced corporate darkness. The people of God had not heard from the Lord in 400 years. He is serving as a priest at this time. Now the Lord says, I I am making my voice heard. I am speaking. That which you have prayed for and longed for and believed would one day come is now coming. He had also experienced personal darkness because he didn't believe what Gabriel told him. He was experiencing every day the consequences of that sin. Imagine, every time he wanted to say something, every time, he could have easily been reminded it's because of your doubt that you can't speak. But while this child, John, is being knit together in Elizabeth's womb, God is knitting together in Zechariah's life, a new faith. He already believed. But because of his doubt, he was in a seat of darkness. And there the Lord showed his grace and mercy. Knitting together in his life a new faith, a greater faith. And so finally, nine months, the normal allotted time, this child that the Lord had knit together is born. As the child is born, it's eight days before Zechariah can speak. Now imagine, these are first-time parents. They're old people. Imagine their conversation. She can speak. She talks to her husband. He has to write back with a sign. Wonder what was going on in their hearts and minds. What is John going to look like? What exactly will he be? Here, he's born. And she speaks as the crowd gathers around to circumcise to witness the circumcision of the child, another sign. And they want to name him after his father. Verse 60, no, he shall be called John. Elizabeth speaks. Their relatives, there's nobody by that name. They made signs to the father and he wrote, his name is John. Now this is amazing. Elizabeth's name means God is my oath. Zechariah's name means Yahweh has remembered. John's name means Jehovah has shown grace. So here's this woman whose name means God is my oath. This man whose name means Yahweh has remembered. He writes on the sign, his name is John fulfilling the prophecy of Gabriel. Jehovah has shown grace. And as soon as he writes it, it says in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open. Nine months of not being able to speak. Nine months of the, Holy Spirit knitting together inside him a new and deeper faith. 9 months of having to write everything you want to say and now he can speak. The Holy Spirit loosed his mouth and what does he do? Two things. First, he praises God. Verse 68. Verse 67 first. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Nine months of silence. The first thing he does is praise God. He praises God for what God is accomplishing and what God has accomplished. Notice what he does. He speaks in the past tense. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The word redeemed in the Greek means rescued. He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So Zechariah begins by praising God. And as he praises God, he speaks of the fulfillment of what has happened. But also, what was prophesied long before the prophets of David. As people are listening to what he's saying, as they witness that he wrote on a sign, his name is John, they asked the a question What then will this child be? Well, he moves from praise to prophecy and he answers that question. Look at verse 76. It says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high. Capital M, capital H. It's speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. In other words, people, you want to know what this child will be? He is going to be the one who is pointing to the one. That's why God gave us this child. That's what his life is going to be. And he goes on, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what Zechariah says about his son. Amazing, this boy, my boy is going to point people to the one that we have been waiting for. So what does this mean for us? Today, my dear friend, you are in a seat of darkness, maybe more than one. The first seat of darkness that we are all in is that seat of original darkness, the seat of original sin. It's the seat that all who are going to spend eternity with God in heaven must be delivered from, must be ripped out of. It is a seat that only God can rip us out of. And it's a seat that once we're out of it, we will never return. We are in his grip for all eternity. Have you been lifted from that original seat of darkness? When that happens... You can never return. You are his for all eternity. But if you remain in that seat of darkness, refusing to trust in Jesus for your salvation, that seat is an eternal seat. It's a seat that leads to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. The Lord God Almighty came, himself Jesus, that he might rescue us from that original seat of darkness. Many in this sanctuary have been lifted from that seat. You come each week as, a, as a, um, a sinner saved by grace, thankful for the Lord and what He's done, and you worship Him. Some certainly come not knowing the beauty of what God has done. Or you come knowing something of it, but you've yet to surrender your life. May this be the day that the Lord would see to it that you would be delivered from that original seed of darkness. But this is important. This side of heaven, though we have been lifted out of that original seat of darkness, we find ourselves in those seats again, don't we? Sometimes it's because of what we confessed earlier. We have loved darkness more than light. Sometimes it's because someone else's love for darkness has impacted us in such a way that we find ourselves overwhelmed with discouragement. What is the seat of darkness that you find yourself in today? The Lord Jesus Christ came. The Lord Jesus Christ lived. The Lord Jesus Christ died that you might be delivered from that seat. Now that seat of darkness may be a seat that you're in for a while. It may be like Zechariah, nine months where he suffered the consequences of his own doubt. But in that seat, what did the Lord do? He moved in him. He knit together a faith that he could never knit together himself. He transformed the man so that when he was able to speak, he said, blessed be the God of Israel. Now I want you to take a deep breath because what I'm about to share is really important. When I was in high school, 1985, senior year, second hour, my favorite teacher was teaching The class, psychology. The teacher was also my wide receivers coach. I think he was the best teacher in the whole school. Dynamic, funny, deep, captivating. But one student didn't think so. Her name is Gina Pickett. Gina had the pattern, it was fair to say pattern, of falling asleep every day in class. Second hour, He begins to lecture, her head goes on the desk, and she's out. He would yell occasionally, wake her up, but time after time after time, day after day after day, she would find herself sound asleep. I mean, out cold. So one day, he simply had had enough. He didn't say he had had enough. He didn't raise his voice. He simply walked over to his desk while he continued to lecture, opened the drawer, and pulled out a big round rim of Medical tape, athletic tape, the kind of tape you use whenever you tape an ankle or wrist. He began to unwound this, and then he takes it over to the desk. He continues to lecture in a normal tone, puts some tape under the desk, and then very quickly wraps Gina to the desk as fast as he can. I'm two seats away from her. I'm looking at this. She doesn't even wake up. He goes a little bit longer, and the class begins to giggle as you are. And then she wakes up and she can't move. She is stuck in that seat. She can lift her head barely. She cannot get out. There's nothing she's going to be able to do. And she is furious. Now, some of you right now are thinking, he shouldn't have done that. He, he's, he would never get away with that today. Oh, you're right. <laughs> but it was 1985. Today, he would have found himself in his you know, own seat of trouble and darkness. But then he didn't. Five, six minutes, she sits there struggling until he comes over with scissors and cuts her loose. She is outrageous. I probably would have been too. She never slept in his class again. So what's the point of that true but silly story? You're just like her. The only difference is you have taped yourself and you are stuck to the desk. And that seat of darkness that you're in, that seat, whether it's original sin right now and you've not been delivered, or being taped to it by your own darkness, your own love for sin, or maybe it's the consequences of just living in a broken world, you're stuck. And deep down, your greatest problem is that you think you can get out of this yourself. You can't. It doesn't matter what the sin is done against you or by you, In that seat of darkness, you don't have the power to deliver yourself. And in a congregation like ours, in a city like ours, where the Bible is taught all over, we tend to say the right things but believe wrongly about the right thing. We think we have the ability given long enough to wiggle our way out, to force our way out, but we don't. If we did Jesus would never have had to be strapped to the cross. He would never have had to be placed on something where he, because of his love for the Father, willingly went and did not come down until darkness, the ultimate darkness, had crushed his heart. Jesus Christ was born light of the world that he might die the darkest death known to man, that he might then conquer that death as he rose from the dead, that he might give life as he delivers those who trust in him from this seed of darkness. Have you, dear friend, trusted in Jesus to deliver you from the original seed of darkness? If so, you're in him forever. If not, you do not have that security pause and think about that today if you long to know you're secure in him that you have salvation simply pray to jesus as we close today save me forgive me of my sins it's why you came and save me if you need help doing that or you want to tell somebody you've done that please come see me our men and women who will be in the corners of the sanctuary to pray with you now if you have done that and you know you have been set free from that original seed of darkness but you're living in another seed of darkness, because of sin still, get help. You can't, you cannot lift yourself out. But this is the good news of Christmas. He came to give you the grace. He came to show you His grace as He delivers that from you. One way to know whether or not you're stuck is if you're unwilling to tell someone who loves Jesus what's going on in your life, that you're stuck. That's the great temptation for us is we don't want anybody to know the seat of darkness that we're in. My friend, Jesus did not come to live and die that you could keep secrets. He came to deliver you. This child given to Zechariah And Elizabeth, Jehovah's gift was pointing to the one true Savior. John would eventually lose his life because of Jesus. John is not the hero of the story. The one he's pointing to is. He also would lose his life. That you might have life forever. May the Lord deliver you from the seed of darkness as the word of God tells us is why he came. Father in heaven, you alone can show us the darkness in our own hearts and you alone have the power to deliver us. Thank you, God, in this sanctuary and in this body. You have done that thousands of times. Thank you that you're going to continue to do that in our midst. And I pray you would even now. Father in heaven, I pray that you would draw people to yourself even now by the powerful work of your spirit. Give people a great sense of the work that only you can do. And Lord, for those who are already in you, but are struggling deeply, Would you give them hope that though it seems quiet, your presence is very real. Though you might seem absent, you are actually much more present than even the pain. Lord God, give courage where courage is needed. Give compassion where compassion is needed. Give dependence to all of us that we simply would surrender and let you do the work that only you could do. To that end, Lord, we worship you because that is why you came. Joy, 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 fill us with the joy of our salvation, knowing that we who are in you are in you forever. We pray in Christ's holy name,
2: amen.